0: Um, we've been dealing with the story of Joseph just for you guys, and I hope each of these sessions are kind of stand-alone, but they're richer, of course, if you if you move from session to session. Um, but I think the the principles that I'll be laying out in this second session is uh, is consistent, which is in the first session you can just catch on board. You know about the story of Joseph from okay, so good. You know I did this; it's really interesting. I I say that because. When I was doing this in our home church, I noticed this little little uh, little Asian girl over on my left, and I, I went over and yeah, uh, you know, I said hi, how are you doing? And she said to me, and we were doing the story of Joseph, and she said, I, I just need to know one thing. She said, is this the Joseph who was the who ends up being the uh, husband of Mary? I said, oh, no, no, honey, that's, you know, I got her into a disciple thing pretty quickly, you know, but it's amazing what we take for granted, you know, in this kind of thing. So anyway, it was good. All right, this is the second uh, session in our series focusing on the life of Joseph, from dream to a destiny. You know, somebody came up to me and said, I don't know if I've ever had a dream. Um, And I looked into her eyes and said, you know, you've raised this incredible family, you've, you know, Surely you wanted your children to, to be serving the Lord. I said, I see fulfilled dreams written all over your face, even though you don't formally see them as dreams, that kind of thing. Um, uh, and, and another another gentleman came up to me and said, you know, I'm in my 80s, and I was saying, well, all the stuff that I did before is gone. Uh, and I said to the Lord, what, what what's my next dream? And God said, prayer, intercession. See, I mean, it's really great. No, but you're never too young to have a dream, uh, to begin to pursue. You're never too old to have it. We were born to be dreamers. That's the way that we were created. Okay. Now, implicit in the title from Dream to Destiny, by the way, if any of you are followers of Robert Morris, he did a, he did a, I think he wrote a book or did a series on Joseph's Dream to Destiny a couple of years ago. I had no idea he did that, so this is not plagiarism, alright? You know, um, and his series is very different than mine, uh, but it's a very good series. All right, so implicit in the idea of dream to destiny is that the pursuit of the dream that God gives for us, for our lives, is the path and the key toward the opening of a destiny that he has for us, right? You know, I I, I shared in the first session that I dreamt that I would be a missionary to France. Well, I had a... Um, uh, or at least to a friend, to the a- francophone world. Well, I had a, a fixed idea of what mission was. You know, which wasn't God's idea of what mission was. And yet it was totally fulfilled. So I want us to consider that for some of the dreams that you feel, you know, haven't really been actu- uh, activated or actuated in your lives. Uh, I-, I want us to begin to really think through. I- I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit at the end of this session to come. And re-energize dreams, but in such a way that, that we get key insights into what it is that God may be doing in our dream life in God. Okay. Now, it appears as if Joseph, in the first 12 verses of our story that we covered the last session, felt that the declaration of the dream could accomplish the dream. That if he just, you know, shot off his mouth, that would be enough, you know. That's what he seemed to want to do. The mistake we make is that the idea that the speaking of a prophecy fulfills the prophecy—Are you there? You know, I mean, that's that's why I'm a little, I'm a little iffy about prophecy, even though we're going to prophesy over people, hopefully tomorrow night. Uh, uh, you know, it's the declaring of the prophecy isn't the fulfillment of the prophecy. It's it's tricky business. But I've noticed something in my own life regarding the dreams that God's given nutrition on myself. Rarely is the character of the Grobleski who dreams the dream the same character of the Grablewski that sees the dream accomplished. Huh? You know, something transformational happens in the accomplishing of it. The dream sets the dreamer on a path, and the dreamer's path has a name, and the name of the path is this, refinement. Refinement. So, so I think, you know, I'm going to go to a principle. Let me just once again say this. I call this message zigzag. You know why I call? Use the word, the phrase zigzag here. You know? I remember prophesying over David Matthews years ago, and the word went, went something like this: The Lord says that in the past you've zigged where you should have zagged, and now you're zagging where you should have zigged. But God wants you to know that all the zigzags are going to stop, and He's going to set you on a less circuitous route. You know? Well, the reason I felt like the Lord told me to say that was to encourage him, because when you get a word, you know, usually the word isn't accomplished by going in a direct linear path, right? You know, it's it's a very circuitous kind of route, and there's some zigzagging that goes on in it, okay? Now, remember, that we said a dream is an imagining of myself that comes from God, it motivates my pursuits, and brings me to the destiny that he desires. And dreaming is a way of hoping. We're not just talking about dreaming, meaning uh, 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 a dream while we're specifically sleeping. It's all kinds of different dreams that people harbor. Some are birthed of dreaming dreams while people sleeping. Some birthed of prophecy. Some birthed of just the kind of characters that we are. So there's all different ways. But here's the principle that I want to focus on in this session. That the character of the dreamer has to be transformed into the character of the one who accomplishes the dream. Whoa. That's a pretty big this is everything about the story of Joseph. How many have seen uh Joseph and the amazing technical dream coat? You know, yeah, most of you. I mean it's the whole I mean that was a great production, wasn't it? And 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 uh you know, as a matter of fact, maybe this week you take a look at that after this and kind of Ruminate on what your dream is and where it's taking you; those kinds of things. But the character of the dreamer has to be transformed into the character of the one who accomplishes the dream, and that's why I named this message "zigzag," because rarely does God take us in our lives from one position to another by the shortest possible route. Have you noticed that? My oh my! You know, there is always some zigging and zagging going on. We're always zigging where we're we supposed to. We're we supposed to have zagged and. All of that, okay? So, you know, uh, God would have um, what's the name of the the, the individual? God would have made a terrible navigator. <laughs> anyway, I won't get Peter started. <laughs> so, there's always a circuit to be traveled. There's always obstacles, and sometimes even serious ones. Now, I see Joseph, and we're going to unfold this a little bit, as a type of Jesus. Watch this. They both. They both, a the type of Jesus. And I'm not saying that Joseph was innocent like Jesus. As a matter of fact, it's the opposite. But both Joseph and Jesus lived in families where they were rejected by their biological brothers. Huh? And and they both entered public ministry at the age of 30. not that interesting? Uh, both were betrayed by brothers for silver. right? Uh, both were called by the Father to redeem those who betrayed them in pursuit of the dream in, in the first place. Both were buried, and and uh, uh, in a manner speaking, both Jesus and Joseph emerged from the dead, and both ascended to thrones. So we see this tremendous picture of Jesus in the life of Joseph. But whereas Jesus needed to learn, I'm sorry, whereas Jesus needed to learn as he pursued the dream, that's what Paul tells us, he was sinless, and he had no need to be refined, all right? But Joseph, on the other hand, like us, had to undergo the refining hand of the Father because that's what dreamers do. They undergo the refining hand of the Father when they begin to pursue their dreams. Now, it's really interesting. A lot of people miss this, but Psalm 105, verse 19, makes a summary statement of Joseph's whole life, and it's this. Until what he, that is Joseph, had said came to pass, the dream that he declared, until what Joseph had said came to pass, the word of the Lord refined him. That whole passage, all the way, the whole passage of Joseph's journey was the refining hand of God. Boy, did it ever refine him. The dream that Joseph declared concerning himself to his brothers ended up being the catalyst that would refine him to the point where he could actually fulfill the dream in the first place. This is the irony of God. So what is it that causes us to zig when we should zag in pursuit of the dream? In the biggest sense, it is the one who seeks to kill, rob, and destroy. It is the enemy of our souls. Here's the principle as far as the enemy is concerned. Kill the dreamer, kill the dream. And Joseph's brothers... Joseph's brothers had the same strategy in mind, so we know where this strategy came from. Joseph Stalin said, Joseph Stalin said, men are problems. Eliminate the man, eliminate the problem. Joseph's brothers essentially said the same thing. But the truth is, and Jesus knew this so well, when the enemy moves us to zig and zag, the immediate obstacle isn't the enemy himself. The immediate obstacles are in our lives, circumstances and relationships. And that was the obstacle for Joseph. Yeah. Can we be faithful to God in this circumstance? Can we be faithful to one another in our relationships? These are the tests that we face when the enemy wants us to zig and zag. So let's look together at the second half of Genesis 37 and mark this path of Joseph in the likeness of Jesus. We'll begin where we left off last session. Okay? I'm in Genesis chapter 37, verse 12. Okay, then uh, his, that's Joseph's brothers, went to pasture their flock in Shechem, verse 13. Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send you to them. And he said, "And and, And Joseph said, I will go, verse 14. And then Jacob said to him, Go now and see about the welfare. Literally, it reads this. Anybody ever hear the word shalom? Shalom is a Hebrew word which means peace, well-being. Okay. And so literally, Jacob is saying here, if you read it in Hebrew, go and see about their shalom. Now, you have to ask yourself, could Jacob have been so blind? Verse 4, you know, In verse 4, way back then, he already told us that there was no shalom between them and Joseph. That's what it says back in verse 4. There was no shalom between all the other brothers and Joseph. But Jacob now says, go and check on their shalom. So, So here we are. It says, check on the shalom of your brothers, verse 14, and the welfare of the flock. And then he says this, and bring word back to me. And it's the same word as report. In the beginning of the chapter. In other words, tattle on them again. Here we go again, you know. Now the last time that Joseph reported on his brothers, it didn't end well. Did you notice that? They hated him for it. So he, that's Jacob, I'm in verse 14, the verse 14, sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And this is a three day journey on foot. I mean, I think we picture that he just hopped over the hill, you know. This is a three day journey on foot, to find out. Now it tells us also that, in order, because he had to move from Hebron to Shechem, that probably water was already getting sparse in the land. Okay, because the only reason that they would move the flock three full days away was in search of pasture and water. Verse 15. Now this is really interesting. It says here in verse 15. This is a key point that's usually ignored in the story of Joseph. It says a man found him. That's Joseph. A man found Joseph. And the Hebrew word to find here is very strong. It suggests that this stranger was specifically looking for him. It was, it's the same word used to describe Joseph finding his brothers at Dothan from whom he's look, for whom he's looking. And so this, this, it's not just that he happened upon him. The man, the Hebrew word suggests the man was looking for Joseph. Who's looking for Joseph? Who's out there, you know? And it says, and Joseph was wandering, and the word used to wander here is the same word that's used to describe sheep that are astray. Wow. So Joseph is kind of astray in the field, and it says, and the man asked him, and this is really important, he was looking for him, he found him, and then he asked Joseph this key question. What are you looking for? Huh? What are you really looking for? Verse 16. Well, he said, and this is the most ironic answer, I am looking for my brothers. It was his brothers who hated him. And this kind of poetic insert is the centerpiece of the story. Literally, Joseph says, I'm seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they're pasturing the flock. So the man said, they've moved from here for I heard them say, "Let us go to Dothan." So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. Now Dothan is another day's journey from Shechem. It was four days on foot, all right. And he's four days away from his father, and now he's at the mercy of his brothers, who are deep in hatred of him. Dothan means the place of two wells. So we know that what is about to happen. Uh, that what is about to happen, that one of the wells is empty, and we know that because they decided to move the pasture to where it is, <coughs> pardon me, the other well has water in it, place, place of two wells. I was thinking when, when Richard was reading about the well that, that Jacob gave to Joseph, it wasn't this particular well, but when they, you know that they're going to throw Joseph in this well or this pit, right? That one well had water and the other well had Joseph. But guess what? Figuratively speaking... Now, both wells would be full. Isn't that right? That's really, I love the Old Testament. All right, verse 18. When the brothers saw from a distance, saw him uh, from a distance, and before he came close to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. Now, it was his watch. It was his princely, right? It was his princely multicolored coat that gave him away as he came over the hill. The sign of the dream came over the hill and it not only evoked the thought of Joseph, the vision of Joseph, it evoked the hatred of the dream. All right? And so the irony here is in verse 18, when they saw him from a distance before he came close to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. Verse 19, and they said to one another, here comes that dreamer. Now, (laughs) This is, you know, the way it reads in Hebrew is this, I love it. Here comes the master of the dreams. Or here comes the dream lord. That's what it means. How sarcastic is that? But it also suggests that they saw Joseph as the lord of his own dreams. When we've already said that the lord of the dreams is the lord. Huh? Verse 20. And then came, and they said, so now come, and let us kill him and throw him into one of the, the pits or wells. It's the same word. And we will say, a wild beast devoured him, and then let us see what will become of his dreams. Verse 21, but Reuben heard this, rescued him out of their hands and said, let us not take his life. Verse 22, Reuben further said to them, shed no blood, throw him in, into the, the well or the pit that is, in, that is in the wilderness, but do not lay hands on him that he might, that's Reuben, might rescue him out of their hands to restore him to his father, Jacob. Verse 23, so it came about when Joseph reached his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the very colored coat that was on him, and when they'd stripped him of his robe, they thought they were stripping him of the favor of his father his position in the family, and his very future. That was what they were doing when they were stripping of his robe. They were taking the dream away. Yeah? Are you following me? All right? Now, all right, verse 24. So they took him and they threw him into the pit. And now the pit or the well or cistern, it was a bottle-shaped pit. That's what that word means. It was empty. It was without any water in it. But it ended up having Joseph in it, which would end up being water for the whole world. Verse 25, so they sat down to eat a meal. This is how much they loved him. <laughs> they, they threw him in the pit to to, to to destroy him, and then they sat down to have a meal. And as they raised their eyes and looked, behold, a caravan of Ishmaelites was coming from Gilead, and with their camels bearing aromatic gum, balm, and myrrh, on their way to bring them down to, to Egypt. Why do we need to know that? I mean, Why do we need to know about balm and myrrh and aromatica? See, each of these spices has three purposes. Each was used as a medicine for healing. right? Each was used to anoint the dead, but each would be used as an ingredient for the incense that would be burned in the future tabernacle of the Lord during the offering of sacrifice and prayer. Isn't that interesting? So they were carrying they were carrying the very things that would become part of the tabernacle worship verse 26 so judas said to his brothers well what profit is it for us to kill our brother and cover up his blood come verse 27 let us sell him to the ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him for he is our brother our own flesh and his brothers listened to him verse 28 and some midianite midianites uh, you know um a Midianite and Ishmael, Ishmaelite in this context means the same thing. It's kind of like you could say, um, how would you say it? Um, you could say uh, a Slav or a Pole, right? They're both, I mean, I'm a Slav, but I'm also a Pole, but I'm also an American. You can interchange those words, right? It's the same kind of thing here. So, so uh, verse 28, so some Midianite traders passed by, so they pulled him up, And lifted Joseph out of the pit and sold it to the Ishmaelites for, watch this, 20 shekels of silver. In Leviticus 27.5, if you wanted to dedicate your 17-year-old son to the purposes of God, you know how much money you had to bring to to the sanctuary? 20 shekels of silver. Isn't that fascinating? It's just brilliant stuff here, this writer. All right, so thus they brought Joseph into Egypt. Verse 29. Now Reuben returned to the pit and check it out. What did I say behold was? Check it. Let's say it. Check it out. Can you say that? Check it out. Three of you can say that. Can everybody say that? Check it out. There we go. We'll use that again. All right. Check it out. Joseph was not in the pit, so Judah tore his garments. Let me point out that Reuben, who was the oldest son, is in disfavor with Jacob over having had sex with one of Jacob's wives. Reuben was incestuous, and so saving Joseph may put Reuben back into Jacob's good graces. So even Reuben here has an ulterior motive. All right, this is a really dysfunctional family. Okay, (laughs) verse thirty. So he returned to his brothers and said, "The boy is not there. As for me, where am I to go? Because Joseph's—I mean, uh, Reuben knows he's in bad straits with Jacob." Right. Verse thirty-two. And they sent the multicolored tunic and brought it to their father and said, we found this. Please examine it to see whether it's your son's tunic. I'm sorry, they dipped it in, in. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 31. So they took Joseph's tunic, slaughtered a male goat, and dipped the tunic in blood. So his garment, which declares his promise, right? The garment's the garment of promise, right? The dreams, am I right? His, his, it declares his status, his future, his life. It disappears in a blood sacrifice. Huh? Joseph's the dream disappears into a blood sacrifice. And they sent away the very colored tunic, of verse 32, and brought it to their father. And he said, we found this. Please examine it to see whether it is your son's tunic or not. And then he examined it and said, it is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Joseph has surely been turned to pieces. So Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his loins, and mourned for his son many days And all his sons and all the daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. We'll just leave it there. All right. Most of you knew this story from before, but isn't it interesting, the little intricacies uh, in the purposes of God that, that are there, that are lying there to tell us what is really going on, that the dream is working even when the dream appears to be least working. What dreams do we have in our lives that appear to be the least working, that are working we don't know they're working because they're God's dreams for us. Yeah? This is the thing. And so there's so many ways that we can approach this text. I mean, this is why I say Joseph was like Jesus. When, you know, Jesus had a dream, it was our salvation. It was the, 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 the addressing of the problem of death. It was the ascendancy to the Father so there would, be, there would be a new heaven and a new earth. And when he was on the cross, the dream looked deader than ever. And it was more alive than ever. Are you there? Because this is the way God works in our lives. All right. So there are like a lot of ways we can look at this. We can look, away, look at it from the standpoint of the brothers and ask questions about hatred and envy, disappointment and jealousy which even the best of us have murder in our hearts sometimes. Or we can look at, it, uh, look at Jacob and the power of regret and deception. But what we're talking about today is dreaming and dreamers. And I want to point out that Joseph is unable to pursue his dreams now. He was pursuing them. When he was going to give a report to his father about his brothers, he was doing the deal. He was activating his own dream, and now he can't do anything. And for those of us who feel as if we've been enslaved to something, which is what Rich was prophesying about, other than what we hope for for our lives, guess what? The dream isn't dead. And I believe that we can pursue here uh, some very important principles that have to do with how God refines us when we're pursuing our dream. That's what the psalmist said in Psalm 105. Are you there? Yeah? So here's the first principle. In the plan of God, and it's not there. Whoa, sorry. Oh, I did. I'm sorry. Maybe I had it up. All right. Okay, thanks. It's the left to right arrow. Okay. I I am like so technologically challenged. Forget about it, you know. Thanks. Thanks, Peter. In the plan of God and you're going to hear this again. You heard it some of you heard it this morning at the men's breakfast. This is just such an important principle. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, in the plan of God, who we are in isolation is not as important as who we are in relationship. That's just so important, I'm going to say it again. In the plan of God, who we are in isolation is not as important as who we are in relationship. I believe in solitude. And getting alone with God, I believe all of those kinds of things. But the activation of the plan of God is always in relationship. God never apprehends a person and leaves that person a person. God always apprehends a person in order to apprehend a people. Huh? This is really big because man in America, there's forty what? Is, there's forty percent of all Christians in America are unchurched sheep. That's the exact opposite of what I'm saying here. Are you there? Well, I get alone with God, you know, I, you know, I, I, I walk to the tallest mountain and have a, a mystical event and I'm not saying that those sentiments aren't true. I'm saying that is not what God's doing. Are you you hearing me? This is pretty important. Throughout this, we live in a culture that wants to isolate us. Yeah. So the video, and I'm not being anti-technological. I get accused of being anti-technology sometimes. But kids w- wafting for hours in front of video games, in, in utter isolation, except with nondescript things on, a, on on a screen. The whole thrust, it seems, of the culture today in the West, at least, is to isolate us. Yeah. And the church should be the opposite. So throughout the Scriptures, God only apprehends a person as a prelude to apprehending people. He was always after a people whose heart is for him. Now, the centerpiece moment in the Joseph story for me is a young man who finds himself in a field, isolated and astray. And this isn't merely Joseph's fault, but I've noticed in family, at work, in church, and in life, when I find myself in a relational mess, okay, if I walk into a family and it's a relational mess, everybody's got something to contribute. That's been my experience. You there? It's like if you have more than two kids in a bedroom, or more than one kid in one bedroom, and you say, who messed up the bedroom? It's like, it's this. I call that the corporate coat of arms. You know, it's, it's, that's the kind of deal. Okay, so so here's this mess that everybody's contributing to, but someone is searching the Shechem wilderness for Joseph with one question. And and you have to ask yourself, who is the stranger in the field who's looking for Joseph? Is the stranger an angel? Is it Jesus? Is it a theophany? We don't know. But his instructions are pivotal. The pivotal point in the whole story whereby Joseph leaves off pursuing his dream and Joseph's dream begins to pursue him. Yeah? And so what does he say? What's the key moment? What are you really searching for, Joseph? Joseph? And Joseph's answers unwittingly, I'm seeking my brothers. And that answer is absolutely true, but he doesn't know it. Yeah? The truth of it will be completely different for Joseph at the fulfillment of the dream. So look, if this afternoon you find yourself as far from the dream as you can imagine, herein lies a lesson. Don't isolate yourself. Especially don't isolate yourself and then claim that it's just you and God. Don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Plunge yourself into key relationships in the body of Christ and see what God does with the dream. Huh? You know, I have a friend, a real good friend, Tony Miller, you know. Now Tony comes from more like holiness, uh, Pentecostal circles where there's a preaching tradition, and I come from more of you know more of a charismatic circle, where there's a teaching tradition. If Tony were preaching this, he'd say, I believe that there's a man in the field today, and that man is still in the field, and he has a question. And the question is going to your heart. You have a dream, what are you really seeking? And you know that would be the way Tony would handle it. But I have to I have to be me, okay? I know Tony would probably say I ain't getting no love over here. I'm going to preach over here. You know, that, that kind of thing. So, a great guy. Best communicator I think I've ever met. Anyway, so, but the truth is, I think there is a man in the field today. I think that man was Jesus then, and I think it's Jesus now. And so, for the dream that you may be harboring, whatever it is, or maybe a couple of different dreams that you had for your life, the question remains today, what are you really seeking? And how does it relate to the plan of God where you're not in isolation, where you're with the people of God? And it, it, see, we have all kinds of dreams. You may be dreaming of, uh, I don't know, establishing a, uh, a, 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 a number of businesses across. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a dream for a, a string of businesses. I have a question. How does it relate to your brothers? And it's not that the dream isn't from God. It's not that the businesses aren't from God. Maybe the dream of, of becoming a a, a pilot like, like Peter, you know. I have a question. What does is, what is the fulfillment of the dream have to do with the dreamer, not in isolation, but the dreamer in relationship? Does that does that make sense to everybody? And boy, it certainly isn't uh, to, to try and convince someone to abandon a dream. And it certainly isn't to say that our dreams need to be harbored in the church or that they need to be ministerial dreams. You know, there's all kinds of dreams. But the dream needs to find its fulfillment in the answer, in the answer to the question, I am seeking, well, who are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers. You I think that's, this is one of the most overlooked parts of the Joseph story. I think it's what God's speaking to the church at Beverly. You know, cause churches can have dreams. Did you know that? Yeah. We have corporate dreams. And, you know, the dreams are never in isolation. They're never about just our church. You know, they always relate to the body of Christ at large. And so, so this is really an important principle. Okay. I could, okay. I got to move on. All right. Plunge yourself into the relationships that are key to the dreams. Okay. And then here's another doozy. If if the dream is from God, don't ever, ever, ever assume it's dead. Can I say that again? Don't ever, ever, ever assume it's dead if it's from God. Uh, no matter what the impossibility of it. Um, anybody ever listen to that... uh to the Graceland album, Paul, Paul Simon, and a great album. So he does that one song, um, which reminds me of Joseph, where he says, you know, I'm just a poor boy, though my story's, no, it's not from the, it's from the, another album, it's uh, The Boxer, that's the name of the song. He says, I am just a poor boy, though my story's seldom told. I've squandered my resistance for a pocket full of mumbles. Such are promises. All, uh, all are lies and jest.'" I thought, I know Christians who believe that about themselves, you know. No, 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 no. You know, don't squander your resistance for a, for a pocket full of bumbles and empty promises. When God promises, God promises truly. Yeah? So, in their attempt to kill the dreamer, they want to kill the dream, the brothers fulfill both the dreamer and fulfill the dream. Cause off Joseph is on his way to Egypt. That's like, yikes! But nobody can see it, you know. Nobody can see that everything is lining up. So whether it pertains to the sale of Joseph or the, or even the, like imagine the arrest of Jesus, how, how impossible everything looked at that point, you know. But here's the, here's the deal, brothers and sisters. Uh, you know, the more damage that we attempt to do to wreck the dream, uh, from God, the more we fulfill it if it's from God. How's that? You know, as this is, you know, there are doublets here. There are twos everywhere. Doublets are prophetic signs in Scripture that show us that God accomplished something. In this story, you see them. There are two dreams. There are two brothers who attempt to save Joseph's life. There are two intercessors. There are two pastors with two wells. And, and there are two names for Joseph's captors you know and so so it's, it's you know the midianites and the ishmaelites you know there's twos of everything in other words the symbology that's going on in the in the in the story in hebrews is saying god is here 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 no matter how impossible it looks yeah you know i love it i love that doubling up okay all right then there's this principle that comes from the story as well exercise your gift sacrificially toward the service of God and his people, watch what happens. The caravan that carried Joseph carried him with three spices that were used for the service of the temple, for the service of prayer, for the service of sacrifice in the temple. I mean, you know, the the Holy Spirit doesn't have time to waste in giving us three increments of what that caravan was carrying to Egypt, you know, just for the fun of it. They have meaning, and it's important meaning in terms of what, go, what would go on in the temple. The coat of many colors was covered in blood because an animal died. You know? The 20 shekels of silver were the exact price. Not, not just, it wasn't just silver. It was the exact price declared in the book of Leviticus that a man paid to have his 17-year-old son dedicated to the service of the temple of the Lord. Joseph was being dedicated to the dream. Whoa! And no one could see it. It all just looked like trouble and obstacle and impossibility. Alright? See, that which appears to keep us captive from the dream, in fact keeps us captive to the dream. Whoa. Yeah. As soon as Joseph's hand, you know, lands in captivity, I mean, we'll see this in the next, uh, his gift begins to cook. He goes to pa- Potiphar says, we're not going to have to deal with Potiphar today. Uh, uh, we're not going to have time to, to deal with that. But most of you know about Potiphar and, you know, his wife grabs Joseph's tunic and, Joseph has to decide what to do, and it's run, forest, run. You know, it's that kind of thing. And, <laughs> and 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 uh, but we won't do that. That that'll have to be for maybe another season. We'll move We'll move on from there. But here's the deal: the minute he lands in Potiphar's house, guess what happens? His gift kicks in. The gift of service. The gift of administration. The gift of leadership. Everything he does begins to prosper. Isn't that amazing? And that's just really amazing. Hallelujah. I'm going to pray. I like to pray for some people right now. I mean, not individually because I know we don't have time. And I'm just about on time. Yeah? Yeah? Okay. Uh, but I just want to ask you these questions. These are more questions. Maybe one of them will just keep, kind of signal something and you can write it down. Assuming you believe that God has given you at least one or maybe a number of different dreams for your life, do you feel that it is identifiably working in your life? And if you can't identify it to be working, is it still working? Right? Because if it's from God, it works. So how do we see that? Okay. Um, here's a biggie. If you're married, have you and your wife part? Or your, I'm sorry. If you're married, have you and your spouse partnered in the dream? Or have you kept it in isolation? In some way. Have you partnered in the pursuit of it? And are, 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 are your spouse's dreams in alignment with your dreams? This is relationship stuff, right? You know, now Joseph doesn't have a spouse yet, but he's got brothers, and the principle remains the same. What are the obstacles that you feel you're facing? Are they, are, you know, do they have something to tell you about what God's doing regarding this dream or that dream? Maybe there's somebody here who need, who always thought they'd publish a book or write a song or Somebody here who always thought they'd open their own business or somebody here who always thought they'd be married or somebody here, you know, just an endless kind of things that God uh, posits in our soul. Are there relationships in which you felt misunderstood or even betrayed that perhaps play a part in the disappointment that is part of the accomplishing of the dream? This is big stuff. I mean, anybody in ministry, this is you, you know. I mean, you know, I, I met with a young guy one time who, who was pastoring a church. He had a good church, he had great ministry. But every time somebody left his church, he had a funeral. I mean, he went into depression. And I just said to him, you are in the wrong business. Yeah. I mean, you gotta get this right. You know, it's just, cause you're looking forward to a life of, of some real disappointment. And every time somebody leaves your church, they're not betraying you, you know. It's, are, are you there? So we all, everybody who has a dream with an obstacle, you know, has kind of like a key character pitfall to to, to think through. Um, what dreams that you believe God has given you have been fulfilled in your life? And here's the big thing. Uh, do you celebrate them? Do you celebrate them? I, I did this thing. It's really interesting. Uh, this, this happened just this afternoon before I came here, so I feel free to share it. I forget what I was doing about a year ago, and I was, I don't know if I was angry at God or just uh, thinking, is my prayer life working? Did anyone ever think that, you know? I keep doing this. Is this thing working, you know? And and so I, I wrote down 25 things, uh and I completely forgot that I had done it. 25 key prayers in my life that i have been praying for in a prolonged kind of way that I was looking for answers for. And I did it probably in some kind of a, A soul tantrum or something. I forget. I forget, I forget why I even did it. Anyway, I did it and I stumbled across it while I was looking up these notes and there were 25 things uh, and I looked through them and I counted up the ones that were answered by God very specifically and with a uh, very positively the way that I wanted them to be answered. Out of the 25, 20 were answered by God exactly as I had prayed for them to be answered and then five you know, hadn't been yet. Are, are, are you there? And so, so, and, and a couple of them looked like impossibilities. And I, and, I, and as I was looking for them, I just thought, oh my goodness gracious, I've never celebrated these things. You know, so when I came into worship and and you guys were worshiping, my worship this morning, I hit, I, I went into God just like that because so I wanted to celebrate the God who had answered all those prayers that I just forgot about because I'm. I am numbskull or something, you know, just, you know what I'm saying? It's that, do you celebrate those dreams that God has answered? And if you think that God has never answered any dream in your life, then you're wrong. Yeah? And, I mean, there's all of us. I mean, even if, you know, if you're saved, you're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because you're being saved was a dream before you, before you were saved, whether you know you dreamed it or not. It's that kind of thing. Alright. Have... Here's the last one. What can you give more sacrificially to the service of God and his people that will help you to see the dream accomplished? These are big things, yeah. These are things to ruminate on and reflect on. Alright. Can I pray for us? Yeah, because I got dreams too. Yeah. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the richness of of your word we thank you lord father we thank you for giving us uh, the life of this young man we thank you for giving us his his pursuit of a dream and even the dreams pursuit of him when the dreams seemed to be dead but we pray now for ourselves we pray for your Holy Spirit to come on this conference. We pray, Lord, that the finger of God, which is the Holy Spirit of God, would settle into hearts and would stir up that which appeared to be dead or even, Lord, would stir alive, more alive, that which is already alive. Lord, we believe that you have dropped into our spirits things to accomplish with our lives, uh, places to go, people to see, ministries uh, to be had businesses to prosper, all the things that you can posit into a human life are alive and well in this in this venue, Lord, over the course of this weekend, would you cause us to reflect properly, would you cause us to celebrate what you 've already done? Would you cause us to recommit to relationship in the increase of your kingdom and others, and would you Lord give us that, that that moment in the future where everyone in this room would look at the dream and say, oh, Lord, thy great wisdom. I never thought that it would happen that way. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you all and thank you for listening.